0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. Welcome, welcome. It's the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything has its own history like whales loss and apologies let me pause you there when you
1: say whales do you mean the aquatic creatures yes. or do you mean the country uh, aquatic creature aquatic creatures okay i'm just just checking or Cuffs, bluffs, and wuffs. <laughs> it's all about dogs. It's all canine up. history, I did. Or ant, <laughs> ants, pants, and rants. Whoa. And rants is very connected to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, however, before that, as you all know, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how these histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of gloves? about which I am obsessed, is all about the Holy Roman Empire, gift giving, poisoning and manliness. And I am in fact part of an AHRC research network on gloves at the moment. Ah. And I'm going I'm going to Bath on Friday. As part of it, I'm going to meet lots of People who work in gloves museums around the country, so I am super excited. <laughs> gloves
0: museums around the country? Yes. Um, I brilliant. might be ignorant, but are, are Northampton, there, Worcester, Chatton. Bath, no. blah, blah, blah. I did not believe
1: it. Victoria and Albert Museum, oh. the Muse- Museum of London, full of collections of historic leather gloves. There are, people are there from- socks museums? You should know there are not <laughs> socks... The thing with well, leather is it survives. Socks tend to get holy and...
0: I have leather get socks. thrown away. You have
1: leather, I'm sure you do. <laughs> leather socks <laughs> and leather underwear, I, I have, imagine. Uh, yeah. uh, or,
0: James, that the history of the itch... Ah, yes. ...is all about phlegm, penitence, infidelity, syphilis and gunpowder.
1: Mm. Yeah. I can imagine. And jokes. Practical yeah. jokes. Did you ever have itching powder? I once had itching powder... Put down my back by a friend. It's terrible. Have you ever wow. had that? Scratched my back raw. Horrid. Horrid. I think I might have just made that up.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was convincing it. Yes. The man sitting opposite me, ladles, ladies and gentlemen, he would... Uh, ladles and gentlemen.
1: Ladles ladies and gentlemen. Ladies
0: and gentlemen, he would spit in the face of history.
1: I would, and I regularly do.
0: He is the angry, but kind... Professor extraordinaire of early modern British history at Plymouth University. It's Professor extraordinaire. Hello! The angry James like Daybell. That, the
1: angry James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the Jim Dixon of history. Uh, the original angry young man of history, a la Kingsley Amis. It is the wonderful, but very uh, cross today... Uh, Dr. Sam Willis.
0: He slipped in a literary reference which has gone completely over my head, which happens quite a
1: lot. Lucky Jim. Who am I supposed to be? Lucky Jim. Jim Dixon, who is the (laughs) main protagonist of that brilliant book, uh, Lucky Jim, by Kingsley Amos. Right. uh, It was written in a tradition of the angry young man, those intellectuals. Uh, who post World War ranted against society.
0: Ah, hence rants. So hence,
1: hence rants. Well, so as if you can't guess what we're doing today, we're going to do the history of anger. Do you, are you an angry person? I'm not telling you that. <laughs> um, I used to be an angry young man. Did you? Yes, not in a sort of, not in a, in a, not in a sense that I was railing against society, but just as a teenager, I was quite hot-headed. I mean, I'm sure it was puberty and all that, but just intellectually quite quite cross yeah, and quite challenging and, you know, iconoclastic, which is great as a thing to do as a teenager, but also a bit... Um, I went to the kind of school where you just had to learn to look after yourself. Yeah. And so um, so I was, you know, I was I'm sort quite, of slight hot-headed.
0: I'm kind of dismissive, but I don't get angry with... I don't think... I. I've never been someone who gets crossed with something unless I can change it. I know I can change it and I can't or something like that. I'm more, um, not sure what the purpose of it is.
1: I get crossed with inanimate objects like shoelaces <laughs> or, you know, particularly when I'm but in a rush. Frustrated. Particularly when I'm, can you r- get cross no, with, I can it? get totally cross with, in, with, an, with, an, with an, things r- like that. You know, and particularly when I'm in a rush, trying to get out of the house and sort of, you know, drop things and thing, you know, can't find things or whatever. But but also, I'm very methodical. The the
0: famous coffee incident when you ruined your
1: computer. I do remember that. Yes. So, were you cross with the coffee cup? No, I was quite. (laughs) I was quite. um, I was quite philosophical about that. Oh really? But it was sort of almost one of those out of body experiences. I take myself off regularly to go and write in places and. You know, a very sort of tranquil environment, digitally free, digitally dark. Um, and one day I was sitting in my favourite armchair in my favourite place to be and uh, tapping away on the computer. And lo and behold, a coffee cup just sort of almost levitated.
0: <laughs> uh, floated,
1: <laughs> and before I could do anything about it, it just sort of landed on my computer, uh, however, and, and destroyed a three and a half thousand pound Mac. Um, however. Um, I wasn't that cross. No, okay. Uh, I don't get cross too much with myself. But with the inanimate I'm, objects. I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable with myself. Yeah. Oh, um. Yeah. And you know, and and um, accidents happen and all that. I'm but... certainly
0: getting crosser. So there's a personal history of crossnesses. I think the point we're trying yes, to get at. It is. So you can be cross. I was just blathering. Different periods just... in your life. you were making a very sensible point. Right. You can be an angry young man. You can mellow with age. That so yes. everyone's own personal lives will have a history of crossness, a history of anger and you will vividly remember moments of anger in your lives and I think when um, the blood rushes to the head and you end up ranting and venting, um, sometimes it can be a fairly profound and quite shocking and scarring experience, not just for the people you're ranting and venting at but also um, yourself, which means I think moments of anger will sit in your historical mind as powerfully and as um, permanently as moments of loss and sadness.
1: Yes. Or joy and happiness. I think so. I think one could, one could look at anger across the life cycle yeah. as well. So, you know, um, I imagine babies are quite quite cross, quite angry. Um, Furious. Ex, ex, you know, experience y- anger. Milk! In a particular <laughs> way. Um, and then, you know, I think teenage years are quite, uh, you know, quite angry years and a sort of mellowness. And then, you know, as one, as hormones do things to different parts of the body of anger can be manifest physically. Yeah. Um, But let's think about a taxonomy of of anger. How do you start studying a history of anger? How do you start defining anger as a concept? And there's been brilliant, brilliant work done on this. I've just been reading Thomas Dixon's blogs on this. He runs the Centre for the History of Emotions at Queen Mary University. We read his book on weeping Britannia. When we looked at the history of tears, brilliant uh, professor of the history of emotion. And he's got a series of blog posts on the history of anger. And it is a really interesting, it's a really interesting topic that is that is truly interdisciplinary. It's not just history, but it's also very philosophical. It's it's the history of emotion. It's psychology. It's it's about medicine and how do you start looking at anger as an emotion as an idea as a as a philosophical idea it's something that uh, interested the ancients and beyond and this idea of anger how do you see it in its linguistic variants you know different definitions of what anger is and anger is how we categorize anger in english-speaking western traditions but how is that dealt with across the world Um, biologically, how does anger manifest itself in physical symptoms of the body? Do you, do, or is it something that's connected to, uh, that's connected to cognition and thought? So is it something that, um, is it something that you, that you, it's, it's, it's a thought process that is in some way related to something. So what is it that makes people angry? Then you can think about, um, Views on anger: Is anger something that is? Is anger something that is accepted as part of ordinary nature? Is it something that needs to be controlled and contained? Is is anger sinful? You think about the seven deadly sins and wrath, mm. this sort of uncontrollable anger. Um, are people able to control their anger? Should they control their anger, or should they let it out? And how does that manifest itself in different cultures across time? Think about the location of anger. You know, and anger within the family can be something that is deeply destructive and can lead to divorce and abuse of children and wife beating and domestic violence and all of those kinds of things. So it has a really interesting history there. Think about, we've already talked about it across the life cycle and people at different stages of their life being angry in different ways. Or if you think about it, manifest in the, I've manifest a lot. If you think about it's, the way in which it plays out in the workplace you know while one might be able to be angry at home because it's a sort of contained environment do you take that anger into the workplace and how does that sit with a modern professional agenda i'm thinking here of Pretty patel uh who's been you know uh allegedly uh bullying left right and center throughout whatever department she's been in and is it you know what are the what are the protocols what are what are the legal ramifications of somebody operating like that in a in a in a work environment you know a boss who is who is bullying and shouts and loses their temper and you know is how has that changed over time um so there are all sorts of ways that we can we can think about this amazing i like that
0: maybe think about the you were talking about the locations of anger there that's a yes. really good idea but you are having a geography of anger yes whether it's in the home
1: cultural geographies of is, anger
0: is there a Are there locations in the home where where you might be more angry than others? Um, And then I was just thinking about protests as well. Um, I was up in Bristol, uh, day before yesterday. And uh, Greta Thunberg's just been there um, as as part of the... uh, As a big march... um, Climate rebellion. Climate rebellion um, for the the environment. And there was... um, the all of the grass outside the cathedral in bristol was completely ruined and it made me think you know it was it was good physical historical evidence that there had been a rally the day before but everyone had now gone there was a kind of a whispered hush after it but if you think about the geography of cities where demonstrations happen you could probably plot it couldn't you it'd be fascinating you could see where people were were gathering to com- to to um to complain to wave banners to protest whatever it might be
1: yeah i suppose you're moving from individual anger and you're looking at anger as it as it sort of forms in a collaborative collective way there in the crowd and in political protest so people are vexed they are angry they have agitation and mobs and rioting has an r- extraordinary history from you know as far back as as written record allows us to to think and then the organization and containment of anger in say something like a a business or a state yep. and the state being the state controlling that anger uh but but that anger then driving the state in particular ways mm. um and i think that's uh that that's quite in, that's quite interesting but where do we start with all of this
0: well um as usual what i like to yes. do is to go and find a historical record which deals with the subject that we're trying to deal with. Yes. So it's quite nice putting us in context. So we're sitting here trying to work out how you do a history of anger. And if you go all the way back to um July eighteen ninety nine in the American Journal of Psychology oh. you'll find um a Study of Anger. A Study of Anger by G. Stanley Hall. And it's Ah oh, G. Stanley, yes. How's he doing? It's brilliant. So the first thing he does, so what what we're doing here is just exploring how people studied anger in the past, which, of course, has its own valid history. Um, And by looking at the way people studied what you're studying in the past, you can learn all sorts of fascinating things. Uh, The first thing he does is he makes an amazing list of words in the English language which are linked with anger. Mm. And, you know, he's done this to make the point that there are very, very, very large amounts of them. Give me, give me some. Acrimonious, aggrieved, affronted, angry, animosity, antagonistic, antipathy, aversion, bitter, boiling, breakout, brood, chagrin, chafe, choleric, contempt, crabbed, cross, cruel, crusty, curt. I'm only on C's, James. I'm going to keep going, though, because it's brilliant.
1: I'm going think of some other seas.
0: <laughs> Defiant. Uh, demoniacal. Demoniacal? Demoniacal. Demo- dem- there's an A in it, though. Demoniacal. Anyway, uh, tell us how to pronounce that, please. Displeased, enmity, evil, fierce, fight, flare, fit, fractious. Right. This goes on um, all the way down to V, uh, vicious, vile, violent, volcanic, W, waspish. He's he's defined all of these as well.
1: Vituperative. Vituperative is good. I'm going to talk about... So uh, all of these have got definitions. Expand the lexicon of anger.
0: I love the waspish one. Yes. A person who is waspish would sting on too little or no provocation. yeah. Um, must be done, so anyway, the point there is that actually some of them are slightly different, so the way that we understand words in the past changes and has changed, so there are some here which are not what you would actually expect them to be yes, um and anyway, he goes through those, and then he what he does is he's he amazingly groups them into twelve different groups, so there are words linked with choking and strangling with writhing and twisting, crookedness, bursting tearing, seizing, uh, make a noise like yelling, uh, malicious talk, swelling, uh, words that are based on the heart, others like gall, bile or spleen which are based on the liver. Um, And then what he does is he ...sets aside those and he looks at the way that other historians... of ...other other sort of philosophers have looked at anger in the past. He goes back to um, a chap called Gebhardus in 1705... ...Slevoitius, 1711. So he's looking at 18th and 19th century stuff. All of them giving elaborate descriptions of anger... um, ...and and treatment as well. Um, One chap thinks that anger can cause cancer and i love this phrase and is liable to foreclose a mortgage of weakness in organs ooh <laughs> yikes that's how a right um <laughs> and and then it goes on to explore how and why anger might on occasion um be noble it's um it, it, it can lead to a to a, mo- a murder he says could it, if acted in a moment of passion is a crime possible of the most noblest of natures um i was fascinated by this aspect um Here, savage races often work themselves up to a transport of rage for their battles by dances and yells and rush upon the foe in blind fury. The warrior's face is made up in the most fiendish way. His weapons suggest torture more than death, as do even his ornaments and his scars are eloquent of the most desperate encounters. Um, that kind of struck a chord because we write about the berserkers in our histories of the yes. unexpected the vikings the furious warriors the furious warriors of the uh, of yeah. the vikings but there's a particular aspect here which um i love um and it is on the history of running a mock ah it's actually a thing didn't know this um, and, of course, it's a thing. A mock is a really weird word, and it sounds a bit like it's from Southeast Asia. It sounds like a Thailand word, doesn't it? A Thai word. And that's because it is. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, what is to run amok? Well, well um, let me just tell you what this guy has, describes it as. This is, again, from 1899. Common among Malays and in other oriental lands. An athletic man who thus gives way to either revenge, religious frenzy, acute mental or bodily suffering, or to the various other causes assigned, often shaves off all the hair on his body, strips every vestige of clothing, oils or greases his body from head to foot, and armed with a dagger or knife runs at the top of his speed, stabbing every living creature he can get at. He runs straight ahead, rarely turning corners, never entering houses and, like an enraged human tiger, never stopped in his career of destruction, often with his head bent low like a battering ram, slippery as an eel, smeared and dripping with blood, till someone kills or at least stuns him. Formerly, poles with prongs were kept in every village to ward off or pin the amokas, who are far more frequent than they are now. The attack is not due to intoxication, nor are the Malays subject to ordinary epilepsy. But it occurs when pain, grief, gloom and loss of hope, nursed by brooding, bring on what their language calls heart sickness. It is. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? So um, I didn't know very much about it, and I'm, I'm delighted that um, I have, in fact, now come across it. So... It was understood to feature prominently in Malay culture. And one of the earliest descriptions of it we have is from Captain Cook, um, who witnesses it firsthand in 1770, part of his voyages around the world. And he writes of individuals behaving in reckless, violent manner without cause, indiscriminately killing and maiming villages and animals in a frenzied attack. Um, What I think is fascinating about this is it's it's a male thing. So you don't get women or children running amok. Um, and it somehow seemed as a way of of escaping the world that they were frustrated with um, since perpetrators were ne- normally killed or they committed suicide afterwards um, and a way of resetting one's reputation as well. Something to do with honour. Um, you're proving yourself that you can be a man who can be feared and respected. So it's a you know a last kind of great firework for
1: very troubled angry people. Uncontrollable violence. Yeah. Of angry people. Yeah. Yes. Okay I'm going to take anger in a slightly different direction and I'm going to start with Francis Bacon. Oh, yeah. Uh, late Elizabethan, Jacobean, polymath, intellectual, Lord Keeper, published a very famous book called His Essays where he writes about all sorts of um, all sorts of ideas and and concepts and it draws on classical sources and he has an essay on of anger Uh, and lots of the ancients, Seneca or Aristotle, uh, talked about anger uh, in various ways. Um, And here is Bacon on anger. To seek to extinguish anger utterly is but a bravery of the Stoics. We have better oracles. Be angry but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your anger. Anger must be limited and confined both in race and time. We will first speak how the natural inclination and habit to be angry may be attempted and calmed. Secondly, how the particular motions of anger may be repressed or at least refrained from doing mischief. Thirdly, how to raise anger or appease anger in another. And that's connected to oratory. So it's the way in which you you rally the crowds to be angered. For the first, there is no other way but to meditate and ruminate well upon the effects of anger, how it troubles man's life. And the best time to do this is to look back upon anger when the fit is thoroughly over. Seneca saith well that anger is like ruin, which breaks itself upon that it falls. The scripture exhorteth us to possess our souls in patience. Whosoever is out of patience is out of possession of his soul. Men must, men must not turn bees. Your bees again. Anger is certainly a kind of baseness, as it appears well in the weakness of those subjects in whom it reigns. Children, women, old folks, sick folks... Only men must be aware that they carry their anger rather with scorn than with fear, so that they may seem rather to be above injury than below it, which is a thing easily done if a man will give law to himself in it so there 's this idea that anger is natural here, but it 's something that you need to control, and that it 's connected to almost madness and to be out of out of control so there's a there 's a sense that it 's sinful um, it's something that you shouldn't do and it's something that we need to we need to control and curb. For the second point, the causes and motives of anger are chiefly three. First, to be too sensible of hurt, for no man is angry that feels not himself hurt and therefore tender and delicate persons must needs be often angry they have so many things to trouble them which more robust natures have little sense of so in again it again anger the cause of anger is about being slighted the next is the apprehension and construction of the injury offered to be in the circumstances thereof full of contempt For contempt is that which putteth an edge upon anger as much or more than the hurt itself. And therefore, when men are ingenious in picking out circumstances of contempt, they do kindle their anger much. Lastly, opinion of the touch of a man's reputation doth multiply and sharpen anger, wherein the remedy is that a man should have a uh, a consalvo, was want as Consalvo was wont to say, um, but in the refrainings of anger, it is the best remedy to win time and to make a, ma- a man's self-believe that the opportunity of his revenge is not yet come, but that he foresees a time for it and so to still himself in the meantime and reserve it. In other words, anger is the cause of people who annoy you, who slight you, who challenge your reputation, who challenge your honour. So that's the causes of it, and then it's connected to revenge. So don't be too hot-headed if somebody does that. Take your time and reenact enact your revenge later on. To contain anger from mischief, though, it take hold of a man. There be two things whereof you must have special caution. The one of extreme bitterness of words, especially if they be accelerate or proper... Um, And again, that in anger a man reveal no secrets. So don't be too hot-headed. For that makes him not fit for society. The other, that you do peremptorily break off in any business in a fit of anger. But however, howsoever you show bitterness, do not act anything that is not revocable. In other words, anger leads people to act in ways that they will later regret. So you need to be able to control yourself. And finally... For raising and appeasing anger in another, it is done chiefly by choosing of times when men are forwardest and worst disposed to incense them. Again, by gathering, as was touched before, all that you can find out to aggravate the contempt. And the two remedies are by the contraries. The former to take good times, when first to relate to a man an angry business, for the first impression is much. And the other is to serve a, as much as may be the construction to sever the con- as much as may be the construction of the injury from the point of contempt imputing it to misunderstanding fear passion or what you will in other words this is connected to oratory and something like aristotle's guide of rhetoric which is basically how when you are talking to a group of people how do you get them incensed how do you make them angry oh, what kind of arguments can you put ahead? And it's exactly the kind of rhetoric that we are seeing today with the rise of populism yeah. around the world. And you think about the tactics that are being used by Trump in the US, the way in which he's pandering to his base and that he's winding them up in a, in a particular way, or the way in which the the right in the UK around Boris Johnson um, is is antagonising people and winding them up. And in a sense there there is that idea that's current at the moment that actually by causing dissent and causing instability, certain people will profit from it so having that kind of so for you know causing people to get angry with each other and actually, if you have a look at the way in which russian the Russian state seems to be interfering in in all sorts of things not only in in elections but also the way in which they're interfering in debates around immunisation for example they are they're locating those particular fractures within public discourse that will cause people to get very angry very vexatious and actually what that does is it makes a very unstable society Mm. and when you have an unstable society like that with the rise of populism then certain kinds of political regimes prosper all of that from Francis Bacon. Amazing, Francis Bacon. It does make you think about,
0: um, you know, social media as well and clickbait. Yes. So people. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, a online visual version of this. You know, we're talking about rhetoric. We're talking about people standing up and talking, trying to wind you up. But there's a there's a, yeah. a, a new way, which has kind of come out in the last maybe ten years, of creating the same reaction instinctively by something you look at.
1: Mm. By something yes, you see, means, yes.
0: the visual means, and it's your reaction to those visuals. It's uh,
1: the power of power of images, power of photography, power of
0: yeah, yeah, which has always been there, and uh, but not not in the ways you might suspect. I mean, I want to talk about something which is related to that, but that's the same. It's uh, in iconoclasm in general. So this is people destroying or mm. damaging. Um, works of art. I particularly want to look at works of art, but there are very famous examples of it of people chopping the nose off sphinxes or whatever it might yep. be, damaging statues.
1: The Reformation, iconoclasm, smashing windows, smashing saints, you know, whitewashing. Yeah. All of that.
0: Yeah. So this is this is a response to a visual stimulus that's made someone angry. Or they are already angry and they are going to damage something visual uh, for the to make the point, um, to, to make a statement which will always be there. Uh, I was in Amsterdam last week, a couple of weeks ago, so I, I suppose. Yes, having a I think it was very nice. I knew time. That. Yes. You didn't know that. You had a lovely time. I did have a really brilliant time. Relaxing time. time. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, my new favourite bar. There's, a, there's like a brewery and a windmill. We should do the unexpected oh. history of windmills. Let's do that. I next. want to do apologies as well. Okay, anyway, we don't go. No, no, yeah. yes, um, yes, and dogs. One of the fam- most horses. famous paintings in the Rijksmuseum. Is Rembrandt's The Night Watch? Uh, you know it. I do know it's it. It's enormous, brilliant, and it's very beautiful. And you've got these um, these guards walking through from the darkness into a patch of light. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a really I don't know. It's a it's a kind of a has a, a fairly significant physical effect on you when you when you look at this thing because it is just so huge as much as anything else. So uh, it's a 1642 painting. Um, But I want to talk about what happened to it in 1911. Because in 1911, it was vandalized.
1: Like this. let me see. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Um, and It's daubed. Daubed in paint, isn't it? Yeah, those are scratches. Scratches, scratches on the varnish. Oh. Uh, um, and that's that was actually... Um, those are, that was when it was damaged in 1975. Mm. Um, but I want to talk about a time when it was damaged before. Um, and it had even been damaged before 1911. I'm talking about 1911, but there's a, there is a history of the specific damage to this painting, which is interesting. You want to say
1: something? I was going to say, that makes me angry. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, interesting. The idea of... of um, incensed. Um, So, the assailant at the time
0: was cross, and he did this. Uh, This is a a wonderful uh, article on the motives of iconoclasts. Um, And he did this because he believed that the state had deliberately stopped him from getting a job, and he'd been dismissed from his post as a cook in the uh, Royal Navy, in the Dutch Dutch Navy. So, the police asked him, did you plan to damage the night watch that Friday afternoon when you set out? No, he said, but when I went for a walk and entered the Rijksmuseum, I suddenly had the idea of avenging myself on the painting to cool my anger on it. I thought it belonged to the state. I didn't want to ruin the painting. I only wished to scratch it a few times. But why did you choose the night watch? He answers, because it seemed to me the most expensive possession of the state. When I'm annoyed, I'm capable of anything. Uh, so fascinating there. Uh, and it's been repaired since. But there are some works of art with Nightwatch is one of them, which have been uh, attacked by angry people again and again and again. Um, another fascinating example is what happened to uh, Velasquez's Rockaby Venus in March 1914. So this is a painting in the National Gallery. In London. In London, absolutely. Yes. Sorry, National Gallery in London. Um, and it shows... Well, it's, a, it's a painting of the Spanish Golden Age, so very similar age to the Night Watch, actually, 1647, just five years later. Um, painted during the of uh, Velasquez's visit to Italy, and it shows the goddess Venus in a very sensual pose, lying on a bed looking in a mirror, held up by the Roman god of physical love and her son Cupid. Um, it's a remarkable thing, you should go and see it. Anyway, uh, Mary Richardson, the suffragette, Know her well. Tenth of March, nineteen fourteen, goes into the National Gallery and takes a meat cleaver to the painting. And there are there is ah uh, photographic evidence
1: of what happened. There's slash marks down the canvas? Yeah. Uh, I bet that took somebody quite a while to repair.
0: And she says here about it, she's interviewed. I have tried to destroy the picture of the most beautiful woman in mythological history as a protest against the government for destroying Mrs Pankhurst, the famous suffragette. Who is the most beautiful character in modern history? Justice is an element of beauty as much as colour and outline on canvas. If there is an outcry against my deed, let everyone remember that such an outcry is an hypocrisy, so long as they allow the destruction of Mrs Pankhurst and other beautiful living women. And that until the public ceases to countenance human destruction, the stones cast against me for the destruction of this picture are each an evidence against them of artistic as well as moral and political humbug and hypocrisy. Um. And then later on, she also said that I wanted to show that the most beautiful woman on canvas was nothing compared to the death of one woman in prison. I wanted to draw attention to the plight of Mrs Pankhurst, our leader, who was then in an underground cell green with mould in Holloway prison. We believed she was dying. And she concluded, I always remember that Mrs Pankhurst was removed from her cell almost immediately. Uh, and one other aspect of what's going on here. So this is, this is iconoclasm. at damage to art deep in the middle of the suffragette movement. But then she also says this, which is fascinating. A very different significance. But she says, I didn't like the way men visitors to the gallery gaped at it all day long. And uh, that was one of the reasons. Angry at the male gaze. Angry at the male gaze. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is which is extraordinary actually the, the the way also the way that it was described and the way that it was interpreted in the press at the time um, being extremely provocative to the way that people were were um, enjoying art and experiencing art and also trying to understand and report the suffragette movement so a lot of lot of anger flying around in yes. nineteen
1: fourteen yes well I was interviewed yesterday uh, by the team behind uh, Talking Tudors yep. and they asked me to talk about my one of my books, which is the Material Letter, which got me thinking uh, again about letters, Yeah, since I'm a scholar of letters and I thought that what I'd talk about next was let, angry letters and angry letters in the early modern period. Would you believe that there are the most angry, splenetic letters that you could imagine? And coming out of that What we've already talked about which is the Francis Bacon's model of anger and the idea of how you incite anger from classical models if you take that a different way there are classical models of letter writing of how you actually be angry at somebody how you take a front and you have to address them in fairly polite ways but also you are able to sort of you know, use exactly the same kind of tropes that will praise them about their good breeding and and everything you flip it so you 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 use that as a as a way of attacking them so you attack their poor breeding and there are some absolute humdingers <laughs> and my favorite uh is I say favorite uh, I say favorite in the in the sort of sense that um that it's just it's it's just so rude you 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 know you wouldn't think that this is a uh, an early 17th-century letter. Um, this is a letter to one Chris, by one Christopher Brooke, who's a, a lawyer in the 17th century, longstanding member of Parliament for York. He's a author of literary works. Um, he writes a letter to a woman called Lady Eleanor Davies, who apparently has been rude to his his wife and his children, and he writes to her in the most splenetic, like really angry, angry way. Um, And he writes to her, um, you know, complaining that, did not I entreat you, my lady trifle, to make some mannerly amends for your impudence and causeless abusing of my wife and that innocent child? And is not it true that my wife tells me that you are an incorrigible Malkin, and have set upon her again with your base, coxcomical braveries, and then he, he then it, then he's really abusive to her. Thou abominable, stinking, greasy, simnel-faced excrement of honour! Since abandoning all goodness and modesty, thou wilt stand upon that vain, glorious footstool what a notable sluttish ornament of bedlam wouldst thou be if thou hadst thy right that art so habitually mad for this for it is yet a month or more to midsummer moon what a scorn and she-block of laughter is that scurvy contracted purse mouth of thine and those black patches of ugly deformities which makes thee ridiculous to all men, women and children, except thy shitten self, for the eyes of the body are always hoodwinked and clouded with cypress and veils of mercury clots most filthy put on, and the eyes of thy mind hath ever been blurred and blinded with festivity fa- fastidious punctualities and the humour of my lady would be in the play. Is it not a wretched thing that thou art naked and hast no fig leaves to cover thy shame, but the titles of thy house? Are there no higher considerations? Doth not a brickbat of Babel in that respect go twenty times beyond thee? Is not a china dish worth more than twenty such glazed and sized... Pictures As thou art, if thy husband did not cover thee, but again hoisted on his blatant beast, bid him expound those verses of Achilles, if he did and thou yet remain an incorrigible, unperfumed piece of Egyptian mummy, then I will (laughs) vouchsafe to interpret them myself to thee but ungentle and not according to the rigour of the letter." better the sights were thy father far so wert virtuous rife and debonair then that achilles had thee monster made as now thou art a sorry and lying jade but i will spend no more term time upon thee Hecate, Medusa, Legion, Cloven footed Gorgon, yet if I meet thee in the vacation, assure thyself I will kick thee and scratch a minced pie for a dog from thy ill kept filthy dunghill ass, and be ever what thou art, which is the most horrible curse that can be laid upon thee. I have never, ever read a letter quite like that it is just full of
0: Unbelievable. full
1: of anger and scorn where does
0: it survive
1: do we know that it survives all over the place that's the thing it circulates well, do you know the original it circulates is? as a libel no it's, that- I mean it, we I think the it's printed it's it's all over oh, okay, right, place. Right, I mean it's, right. it's, it it's really like a is thing. a kind of yeah you know it's a phenomenon it's one of those sort of li- you know libellous letters um from this period and there's a really close line between you know, really overstepping the boundaries that how do you write to a gentlewoman in that,
0: yeah, I mean, in I, that I, manner? I think that man was um just, just towing the line. I think he was completely fine, didn't overstep anything. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Be> quite cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, um but you know, it well that's actually just led me on to one of the other things I was thinking about was you know, this this person here has fundamentally lost all control and restraint. Um and there is a whole history of controlling your anger and of not losing restraint. Anger management. Anger management. And one particularly interesting chapter of that is in Victorian pugilism. It's in boxing. It's being able to control Ah, it. Yes. Um, I'm not sure I've got time to really get into it now, but the fundamentals of this is that if you're fighting and you let your anger control the situation, you've already lost the fight. Um, And there are some very famous uh, Victorian boxers at the time who are known for being very scientific about what they're doing, doing a lot of training, um in everything they can to prepare themselves so they don't lose lose it basically yep. in the yeah, ring. Yeah. Um and it's also linked to what is acceptable in the ring. Basically losing your temper is not acceptable in the ring. Yes. Um, as long as uh, dropping, gouging, shifting, and other kind of descriptions of what's going on. So there's a whole history of like the tactics and the rules of boxing as well as the sort of the moral moral purpose behind it. Um, none of which I've got time to go into because we've been I mean, ranting ourselves. we have us? been
1: ranting. That letter was extraordinary. Was you look tired I've, after I've reading never, it. I've never read it out
0: <laughs> like that, out <laughs> aloud. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, I've really enjoyed that episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all so much for listening. Um, do please pass the word on... Um, and please leave us a review on iTunes it makes a massive difference it doesn't take you long and it really means all the world to us you can follow me on Twitter, I'm at Doctor Sam Willis, and you can follow me at James Daybell
1: and you can follow the podcast on at UnexpectedPod
0: find out what we're doing at historiesoftheunexpected.com we've got two live shows on tour we've got our first multi-period chaotic, crazy, great fun show and our specific one on the Tudors we're coming to schools, if you're a teacher check out our schools page Um, Castles, literary festivals, theatres, churches, village halls—kind of going everywhere, aren't we? We're doing beautiful days again
1: this year. Another big music festival. Very exciting. Yeah,
0: um, we've been—we went there last year. Bringing history to music festivals is something I'm absolutely uh, committed to. I think it's great. Um, so do please get in touch and do check out patreon.com forward slash histories of the unexpected if you would like to um, like to donate and you'd like to help us on our mission to change the way that you all think about the past all of your help will be gratefully gratefully received it really does make a huge difference um thank you all so much for listening we've loved chatting to you bye bye